was prophesied over me a number of years ago that I was going to be, God was, I was going to be like a lump of dough. That God, bread dough that God was going to put into the kneading trough and he was going to punch it down. He was going to flip it over and punch it down some more. He was going to set it aside and he was going to let it rise. And then he was going to take it and he was going to punch it down some more. And he was going to flip it over and punch it down some more, just really work it through. And then he was going to set it aside and let it rise. And then he was going to turn on the oven. And then he was going to slip me into the oven, turning up the heat and cook me until I'm a golden brown. And then he said he was going to take me out of the oven and he was going to set me aside and let me cool. And then he was going to take me and he was going to break me to feed the hungry. And I thought, oh, that sounds awful. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard for us to understand the breaking of the Spirit of God in our lives. Stuff, you know, it's something I think that we all go through in our Christian walk. And uh, God takes and he breaks away all of the stuff that's of this world that's not of him. And what he's trying to do is bring into our lives the fruit of the Spirit. Break away all the chaff and bring out the fruit of his Spirit. And uh, we're going to be looking again this morning at Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, last month when I spoke, I spoke on verses 1 and 2 primarily. And I'm going to speak a little more on just 3 and 4 this morning. And Peter here, just a little recap, he's, re, he's uh, writing to encourage this young church. At this time, Jesus had only been, this is about 65 AD, so Jesus had been crucified for approximately 30 years or so. So this is really quite a young church that Peter's writing to. He's writing to encourage them because uh, of the suffering that they were going through, um, through their, the social and the governmental persecution they were experiencing because of their faith. And he starts by just directing their attention towards God. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling them that they are God's chosen people. And they were chosen long ago according to God's foreknowledge. And drawing their attention to the fact that they've been born again because Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And now Peter's telling them that we have now have an, live, now we live with great expectation of what's to come, and we have a living hope. And he wants them to understand the privilege it is to be a believer. And, uh, clicker, I remember, like I'm sure Peter, (laughs) last time I dropped this this thing coming up here, there's now tape on it. (laughs) Whew, good thing I played baseball when I was younger. (laughs) She did too, a good throw. Strike. I'm sure Peter remembers when Jesus said, For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Apart from the grace of God, none of us could find the narrow gate, let alone walk on the road that is hard. That's quite a a verse there. The, The gate is narrow to start with. Have you ever wondered why? The gate is narrow. Why doesn't God just build a big gate for everybody to see? There's reasons for that, but I'm not going to talk about it today. The gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and few find it. If we have found that gate, we can count ourselves very fortunate. We can count ourselves blessed, because 
The gate is narrow, the road is hard, and few find it. And apart from God and the truth of his word, none of us would find that road, that gate that leads to that road. And when I read these scriptures, when I read all of the scriptures, I imagine myself in the place that these scriptures are written with just with me in mind. And that brings the scriptures to life. And as uh, we look at the text that Peter here, he's talking about in verse uh, 1 and 2, he says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and, and his spirit has made you holy. He says, I am writing to God's chosen people. As I read these texts, I'm challenged with the thought that I am God's chosen people. You are God's chosen people. He's chosen you. And uh, he says that he knew them long ago. Ephesians 1.4 says, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. That's not what I wanted up there. Ephesians 1.4 says that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault before him. I'm living as a foreigner, and this is not my home. This planet is not my home. It is my home. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And my hope is in who Christ says I am. The NIV says these verses like this. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. This one. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We are God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Alberta. Like, do you see yourself that way a little bit? Do you understand what the scriptures are saying when, it's, when it says that we are as foreigners? We also have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, having the same mandate as these people that Peter's writing to, to be a light and to give an answer to our community and to the people that we rub shoulders with on why we believe what we believe. So we need to know why we believe what we believe. And what we believe has got substance to it. It's not just a whim, what we believe. What we believe has substance to it. And we are as much of Peter's audience today as they were back then. Uh, A lot of the commentators say that this book is one of the most relevant books to us today in this time and era that we're living in as much as any other book. Um, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by the power, by His power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You know, that's a, it's a pretty incredible. It's ready to be revealed for all to see. Peter was wanting these people to see, that this life as a, see this life as a journey, as if they were just passing through, to see that they were, uh, see themselves as aliens, living in a land that is not their own native land. This word alien here, it's very interesting, and this is just a little side note here, but in New York here this past two, three weeks, I heard on the radio, because uh, I was just down in the States, I heard on the radio that they passed a law in New York, if you call anybody an alien, you can be fined up to $250,000. 
You know, it's just bizarre where things are going in some of these higher offices. It will only be because of this new birth that they could look forward to this internal inheritance that they have. And it's only because of the new birth, being born again, born of the Spirit, that we can understand what this internal, eternal inheritance that is coming to us is all about. Something they could only see by faith and something that they could only see with their spiritual eyes. Something that we can only see by faith and something that we can only see by our the spirit within us. And I know in my heart of hearts, I know that I know that this is true and, and what's coming is coming. And, uh, you know, that uh, Jesus said when he was comforting his disciples and he said to them that he was going to prepare a place for them and he would come back and take them to be with him, with him where he is. I believe that, that he's gone to prepare a place for me. And he's going to come back one day and he's going to take me so that I can be with him where he's at. Peter's letter is written with the intention of helping these people understand the privilege they have of maintaining and living uh, the living hope while they're suffering. By all appearances, they seem to be facing the significant hardships as a result of the social, social and governmental oppositions because of their faith. And so, you know, another good example of what's going on in our governments, in our, in like in, back down into the states again, but you know, you don't have to go very far into the states. You can just go across the, anyways, you can hear it in our own country. Is this election that's going on, is uh, the Democratic Party and all, and, and all of their debates that are going on. I heard one of the um, electorates, one of the, uh, the guys that's running for president, he says if he gets in, he boldly and aggressively said that he would cut all tax exemption to all of the churches. Uh, if, they, if he was voted in as president, like I think that's sort of like cutting off a few people that are going to vote for you, I think, even in your own party, with talking aggressively like that against the church. I just don't understand what's going on in a lot of ways. I do, but I don't. We need to have the mindset of John and Peter when they were having struggles, when they were preaching the gospel and they were arrested by their governmental officials and they were flogged and told not to preach in this name. When they said, when it says in Acts 4.21, the apostles left the council, the high council rejoicing that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. We need to have that kind of a mindset. Peter's advising the believers to endure suffering following the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ. They were struggling with the pressures of being believers in a day when society was boldly mocking and ridiculing them in their faith. And this is really what makes this text so relevant to us because you see it. That's getting They're getting more and more aggressive. People that are against the church are getting more aggressive. And Peter wants his audience to know that God has always had them in mind throughout the ages. And he wants us to know that he's always had us in mind throughout the ages. And some of what Peter is challenging these people with is a timeless truth. And again, it says, for God called you to do good. In Peter chapter 2.21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. You know, like, there's times when it's not going to cause suffering. It's just that nobody's going to know about it. And we can do good or we can just start to maybe do something that's a little more convenient. And we're going to pick. Are we going to do the right thing? Just a little example. I was down last week. I had the privilege of taking my granddaughter and going down to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. My poor wife, she, she couldn't fly because she had that, her surgery. And 
She's doing really good. She's doing exceptionally well, and I praise God for that. But we had this place booked down there, and we booked it when we booked it because we thought, well, that'd be it toward the end of her time where she had to be off work to recover, but then they said, no, she couldn't travel, and I thought, oh, and then, so I thought, oh, I'll take one of my grandkids with me, and I took little Phoenix, she's 11, she's the only grandkid that had any money, so I made her pay for part of her fare, because <laughs> I thought, how do you do that with your grandkids, how can you take one and not the others, and then set a precedent that you're going to have to take every one of them eventually, so I took her, her and I went, and as we were down there, we were in the grocery store, and uh, she was pushing the shopping cart, and there was a piece of paper in her shopping cart that she didn't think belonged there, so she took it out and threw it on the floor. And I'm walking behind her, watching her, and, and then she goes up, and she sees, grabs a bag of cheesies and throws it in the cart, and then she sees something else she thought she might like better, so she takes the bag of cheesies out and just sticks it on the shelf and puts this in her cart. And then so I told her, I said, you know, Phoenix, I says, you know, as Christians... I said, we've got to work as hard as we can work at doing the right thing and doing good. I said, you know, somebody's going to have to, they have to hire people to come in and take all this stuff that people just lay all over the store because they think, oh, I don't want this anymore, and we stuck it on a shelf. I said, really, the right thing to do is to take that bag of cheesies and put it back where you got it. And then we carried on. But then I noticed a couple days later where we were, uh, as we're going through this, store or ask store that she noticed something was out of place so she grabs it she takes it and she puts it where it belongs and I thought wow if only I could learn that well you know if only I would listen like that but you know it's something that uh, it just blessed me I thought wow that that is just so awesome that you know we can sow these little seeds and we're called to do good and and I you know it's because I'm working on this as I'm down there and so I had an opportunity to sow a seed in her life, and, and that seed took. And I praise God. I pray that it sticks. I pray that it grows, that she is challenged that way. Because it's a testimony when I see somebody choosing to do the right thing when it really seems like, ah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it does because it's the right thing to do. So Peter says, for God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard Pastor Paul mention Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was uh, a resistance activist, a theologian, a pastor who was in on trying to stop Hitler. And then he was caught and put in jail. And then four days before the war was over, he was executed. But he was, uh, he was uh, noted for saying this saying here, Salvation is free, but to be a disciple of, G of, of Christ costs everything. Salvation is free. It's a free gift of eternal life for all of us. But to be a disciple of Christ costs everything. Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. And uh, that has always spoken to me, you know, clearly, convicted me, whatever you want to say. Are we willing to pay the price as believers? We need to always be asking ourselves that. It's an ongoing thing. Do we do the right thing when nobody is looking, especially even if it's inconvenient? Nobody's going to know, you know, do we do, choose to do the right thing? I think it's a healthy thing to be aware of and to uh, pay attention to in our lives because if we're not paying attention to that and we don't care and we don't choose to do the right thing when we have an opportunity to do the right thing or if something just doesn't really matter but this is the right thing to do, uh, we need to ask ourselves, am I dull of spirit? Because we continually walk in the grace of God. We continually are 
Christians, and we should care about the littlest things. It's like money. You know, you, I was always told my life I wasn't so great at it, but always told all my life that if you take care of the nickels and dimes, the rest will take care of itself. And it's the same kind of a principle. Just take care of the little things. Do the little things right. Do it just because it's right. You know, and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it grows. It's something that we need to be aware of. And it does help quite often, I tell you, when I'm out in the mall or I'm at Costco or I'm somewhere and somebody says, Hi, Pastor Mark, and I have no idea who they are. So I'm thinking, whoa, okay, now have I been behaving myself? You know, like, it's like, it's like I've got eyes everywhere. And so it is a little bit of incentive. I've always felt called when, I was, when we were younger, become Christians. We've been saved a year, and I was still carrying on with the drugs and all that stuff the first year. And then we, uh, about 22 young people got saved one summer, and and then we, we went to the Bible study, and I'll never forget the feeling. It was just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, man, here, I've been a Christian for a year, and I've got nothing to offer these kids. Like 22 young people in one summer got saved, and they were all meeting in a small group. And we were sitting there, and I thought, man, I've got nothing to offer these kids. And from then on, I felt convicted to be an example. So I am aware that there are lots of eyes watching me, but I don't care because I don't do anything wrong. <laughs> 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 okay, Karen says I'm not perfect. <laughs> so it's good incentive for all of us. Hebrews 13, this is a great scripture. Don't forget to show hospitalities to strangers, for some of you have done this, done this, who have done this, have entertained angels without realizing it. That's quite a thing, hey? Ask first service, are there any angels in here? But Nobody's hand went up, so there was no angels, as far as we know. But Peter says in chapter 4, he says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. Rejoice that you are counted worthy to suffer for his namesake. You know, we need to recognize it is a privilege to be a believer. We have got to count our blessings, name them one by one. Like Jesus says, the road, the gate is narrow, the road is hard, and few find it. If you're on the road, if it's hard, praise God, that's okay. The road is hard, and few find it. By the grace of God, you can do it. Sometimes choosing to the right thing can be humiliating, especially like in a, such a promiscuous society. It can be tough. Remember, Stockwell Day was uh, the leader of the officials' opposition in, in our country here. And uh, he was our youth pastor in Bentley when we first became Christians. And so we knew him very well. And uh, at one time, they were very much a part of our lives. He was the leader of the official opposition. And this was about 20 years ago. And he was uh, on TV, and he was being interviewed. And they began to ridicule him because of his faith. And I could feel the angst. I could feel, you know, like it's kind of a, like I said, do not be ashamed. But, you know, it's, it's just not easy when they're humiliating you, saying things about you and stuff like that. But, you know, you could tell that it was hard on him, but he stood strong. And he never flinched because he just thought, you know, he just took the lumps. And, and I was just really proud of him. And I thought, way to go Stockwell. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. 1 Peter 1, 7. 
the trials we go through, and as I'm thinking about this verse, as I'm writing this out and trying to lay this message out, I'm thinking, okay, you know, sometimes they say sometimes that the uh, success is harder to take, harder to deal with than problems, than uh, defeat. And, you know, so you can say that these trials where our victories show whether our faith is genuine, you know, whether we allow the cares and concerns of this world to take away from the things of the Spirit, our trials that we're going through, they show the genuineness of our faith. And the world needs to see the genuineness of our faith, and they will see the genuineness of our faith because our foundation is Jesus. It's not, you know, the things in this world that we're standing on. We're standing on Christ. That's what we're supposed to be standing on. And like we said here last month when I was speaking that what Paul said the two weeks before that, is that this, the storms come, the trials come, they just reveal what our houses are standing on, the rock, Christ Jesus, or sand. The trials we suffer, they, they're never going to look right or feel good when they're happening to us. And I think that's what causes us and shakes us up a bit. You know, it's like, okay, you know, like, it just, it's hard, it's difficult, but it is the way that God separates, gets the chaff out of our lives, birthing the things of the Spirit. And, you know, people that do not have the life of the Spirit in them cannot understand that. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. Now there's an opposition, opposite going on. People that do not have the Spirit alive within them, they, to them the, the cross, message of the cross is foolishness. It'll never really make sense outside of the spirit of Christ. And then, but his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This phrase, his great mercy, is referring to the unmated, unmerited favor towards sinners in their desperate state. God loves people. He loves everybody in Red Deer. It's, like, it's not like he loves the Christian and hates everybody else. He loves everybody. And it was, you know, when we were yet still sinners that he died for us. And to illustrate that, Karen and I were at a movie, uh, and we had one of our young adults living with us, and uh, she had been with us for a couple of years. We're in the back of the theater, we're watching this movie, and I don't remember what the movie was about, all I remember is a chick flick, and the movie theater was packed full, we're sitting at the back, and it's coming to the end of the movie. So you got the music playing, and it was about something to do with a, a Lutheran pastor getting together with another a lady, and they were coming together and falling in love. And the music's playing, and all of a sudden, I see the Spirit of God come down in that movie theater. And I hear God say to me, he says, I love these people, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to save their souls. And then I seen the Spirit lift. And then I started crying, of all things, at the end of a chick flick. <laughs> in a packed theater. And I couldn't stop crying. Like I was, I couldn't stop crying. And then Karen says to me, she looks at me, she goes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I couldn't even tell her because I couldn't stop crying. Like it was an amazing, like crazy experience. And I, I don't know why God had to do it there and had to do it then, but I'll never forget it as long as I live. And he says, I love these people and I'm going to do whatever it takes to save their souls. It was just a powerful moment. And then I just, like, I was just trying my hardest to stop crying, wipe my face, and try to get out of that theater. Nobody to see me, but it was humbling to say the least. God's sense of humor, eh? I wonder if he was laughing, because it was something. 
If it were not for God's grace, none of us would know the truth. It's by his grace that any of us, and like I said, while we were yet still sinners, he died for us, and it's by his grace he's shown us the gate. He's shown us that narrow gate. And if you're walking on the path or you've been, you've been through that narrow gate, it is such a privilege to be there because most people are not there. 1 Peter 1.3 says, By his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Praise God for the new birth. You know, it's born of the Spirit. Like Jesus said, you know, you're born of the flesh, born of the Spirit. And we have been born of the Spirit, and now we can see life through different eyes. And it should make sense to us. If you've been born of the Spirit, life should make sense. Galatians says that someone who has the Spirit of Christ living in, within them has genuine love for others. How's your love for other people? They are someone who is, for the most part, happy. They have peace. They're patient. They're kind. They're generous. They're faithful. They're gentle. And they're self-controlled. We all have weak moments. But the, by the grace of God, we will not be overcome by them. He says in that scriptures that he's protecting us. And, you know, and he'll protect us to the end by his spirit. And we all have these moments in our lives where things are tough and things are sort of feel like maybe they're falling apart. But we won't be overcome by them because in Psalm 50, 15, I wrote the verse down here and I forgot to write out the words, but it basically says that he will deliver us from all our troubles. You know, he's a good God and he loves us. He's working out the stuff that shouldn't be there and he's bringing out the fruit of the Spirit so that we can be like Galatians says and be these kind of people who have a genuine love for each other and for, for people, period. And a great verse that I have, you know, all my life have um, enjoyed says that we will, he, I will repay, God says, you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. NIV says, I will restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. Anything that the enemy has taken from you in your life, if you've had a, a rough upbringing as a child and you feel like you've been robbed of things in your past, God promises to restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. You know, all things working together for good, God can take you and take what the enemy meant for harm, all things working together for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. He can make good, and it's just like he takes the enemy and just gives them a, just a what for. Because he's got no power in a believer's life. He's got no authority in our lives. And I praise God for that. Our upbringing makes a difference in our lives. It really does. But he promises, you know, it doesn't have to define us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God's grace is sufficient to see us through, to get us to where we need to be. As we allow God to work in our lives, he loves us. He is a good God, and he wants to see us succeed and to do good. And he understands our pain. If we grew up in a broken home, it matters. You know, you can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter because whatever, God's grace and all that stuff. It matters. It affects the way we make decisions. It crushes and it wounds, it hurts, and all of the brokenness in the world is very grieving to God. 
And we say, why doesn't he do something about it? And Peter says that he's not slow as some would consider slowness. He's, he is waiting for that last person. I think that's my interpretation. He's uh, not slow in some return. It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You know, there's got to be a time when, when there's no more person that's going to make a decision for Christ. Why would God carry things on? But as long as people are going to be making a decision for serving him, why would he stop it? Like, that's just my kind of interpretation of that scripture. I think, man, you know, that's, I think it's good. If we grew up in broken homes, it matters. Genesis says about mankind, he says, right at the beginning, he said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination and thought of their hearts was only evil continually. And it is a hope, okay, Mankind has been bad since the fall. Man has been broken since the fall. And it's by God's great mercy that he has given us a new birth into a living hope. It is the, a hope that has substance to it. It's not just a, a cross our fingers, hope so kind of a hope. It's a hope with substance. It's a hope that we understand because of his great mercy, we've been given new birth, we've been born of the Spirit, and now all of a sudden we understand we have a living hope. We've got a hope with substance, a hope that's real. And there are people in this world, like the majority, that don't know that this hope exists. And when they see your lives and they see the genuineness of your faith because of the way you're responding to life, period, whether it's good or bad, they see that genuineness of your faith in that, they're going to ask you about, okay, what is it that's different about you? You know, why isn't what you're going through crushing you? You know, you hear people talk about that. It's because Jesus Christ has me in his hands. And, you know, most of the world does not know that this hope exists, and it's our responsibility to tell them. Nobody else is going to tell them because they don't have it. Only the believer has that hope with substance. The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still being written today. We need to recognize that we as a church are in that story. We're all a very integral part. Every person in this room, you know, if you feel insignificant in the Lord, you feel like, you know, maybe God's not using you, or you feel like, you know, who am I? Every single person, like there's nobody in here that's more important to God than the other. And we're all a very integral part of what God is doing as he unfolds his story. Have you ever thought about how the book of Acts ends? The book of Acts sort of ends abruptly, and... The, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the gospel or the, the book of Acts and then in his ending you know many say you know they wonder okay why does that book end like that it sort of ends so abruptly and there's different reasons why people think but I tend to agree with the individual when he says that you know it ended like it did because the book isn't finished the story is still being written and we're a part of that story and the key verse into the book of Acts is, for the next two years, or this is uh, the end of the book of Acts, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. And then that's the end of the book of Acts. And then you think, okay, what happened next? Was Paul released at this time? Some think that he went into Spain. Some think that, that he was uh, brought before the emperor, convicted, and that was when he was martyred. You know, but we're not told. So we don't know where it went from here. But 
it ending in this way is really, I believe, because the book is not finished. It's still being written, and we are a part of that story. And this key verse I was talking about for the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, we have to ask the question, you know, like, where is the ends of the earth? You know, like, uh, Paul could have thought it was Rome, but there's, they hadn't reached the ends of the earth yet. Paul, uh, Luke might have thought that it was Spain or Britain in the West. But I believe from God's perspective, the ends of the earth is our families and our co-workers, our community, Red Deer, and our children, the seniors of our community, the youth and, and the, the kids that are down in the kids' wing. Peter says that there's a great salvation waiting for us in heaven that will be revealed in the last days for all to see in the end. And we need to recognize the privilege that we have as believers that, to be a believer, that we are believers. It's a privilege to be a part of God's eternal story as he unfolds it. And so as we live out our lives and we go to work, I pray that we do you know, recognize how important it, it all is on how we live this life. We need to recognize that it matters. You know, we're called to do good even if it costs us. Even if we have to suffer for it, we're called to do good. If we're being humiliated for Jesus' namesake, consider that a, an honor. It's like an honor badge. I want to have a stand. We're going to close. And, you know, Jesus said the gate is narrow. And the road, to, the road is hard that leads to life. And few find it. And I just want to challenge you that right now, this morning, that if you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ in your life, to be a Lord of your life, Savior of your life, and you're hearing this message, it's no accident that you're here because the creator of the universe, God, is the one that is controlling all of our lives. He's in control. We make decisions and we suffer consequences or we enjoy life, whatever goes on, but... God, overall, he's the one that has brought you here. It's no accident that you're here. And I want to explain to you that the gate is right before you. You may never see this gate again because the gate is narrow and the road is hard and few find it. So this morning as we bow our heads, I just want to give an opportunity to anybody that would say, yes, Jesus. It says, there is no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved. And you think, you know, how does a Christian think that they're, they're the only ones that can be saved? If you search out the scriptures and you, you look out the historical facts of the scriptures, you look out the historical facts of many other cultures that, that, uh, that mention many things in the Bible, it's just like, because I'm not one to, sink, to take things plain and sinker just because they are said. And it is amazing. You want the truth? You come to Jesus and he says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I just want to give you an opportunity that if you've never made a commitment to Christ and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to walk through that gate this morning, just raise your hand and I want to give you a little bit of instruction. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the moving of your spirit in our lives. I pray for everybody in this congregation, Lord. We're all in different places. 
we all have different struggles. We have different victories. Lord God, for anybody that has not walked through that gate, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength and the courage to pick up that card that's in front of them and write down their name and, uh, and a note just saying they want to know more about the, having a personal relationship with you. And I'm going to tell you, take it back and hand it in at the guest info center. And if you want, run out the door and uh, I will contact you. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just give them the strength and the boldness to do that. And all of us, Lord God, any of our needs that we can help each other out with as a body of Christ, I pray that you would just, uh, just open our hearts to be uh, lovers of people and there for each other. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this congregation. I just, I love them, and I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. That singing this morning, that worship this morning, you guys were singing loud, and that was such a blessing to see. This is a good congregation. God bless you.